in preparation for today's message, we shall be reading from the book of John, chapter 6, verse 30 to 40. That's John, chapter 6, verse 30 to 40. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them in that portion of the scripture and join me in reading God's word. Let's all rise in reverence to the word of God. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do, that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise, raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Praise God for the reading of his word. We may now be seated. Good morning to everyone. Allow me to start with a question. Why are you here today? Of course, you may have a reason why you are here today, or perhaps you may have reasons why you are here today. So let me again ask the question, why are you here today? Let's start with a prayer. Let's pray. Lord, once more we commit to you this time of our study and listening, reflecting, meditating on your word. Lord, would you open our spiritual eyes, our spiritual ears, our spiritual hearts to your word, that we may hear and see and know and believe. Lord, we ask that you would give us the ability to understand your word and the power to live them out in our lives and the opportunity to share and proclaim your word to others and so that they too will know you. Lord, there's only one desire that we have today, that you be glorified. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are now in John chapter 6, verses 30 to 40, but allow me to just uh, backtrack a little bit and uh, start and go to verse 22 before we go to our assigned text today. Verse 22, it's written, I'll be reading in NASB. The next day, the crowd that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other small boat there except one, and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. There came other small boats from Tiberias near to the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And we go to verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? So the crowd called Jesus Rabbi or teacher. Uh, perhaps 
showing respect, or perhaps they heard this from the disciples calling Jesus their rabbi, their teacher. And so they may also, as a sign of respect, uh, as a title to Jesus, they called him rabbi. Or maybe they, they want to also be followers and disciples or students of Jesus. They're applying to be his disciples. But the Lord would reveal their intentions. Of course, God knows everything. Jesus would know everything as well. So he would reveal their intentions. Verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. So the Lord revealed their intentions. They followed because they were satisfied. They were fed because of the food that they ate. Verse 27, do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father, God, has set his seal. Jesus instructed them to seek the food that brings eternal life and not the earthly food, the earthly bread that may satisfy them, that may fill their stomach temporarily. And so here in verse 27, there are three things that Jesus would say to them. One, do not work for the food which perishes because it's a waste of time. It's useless. So it's a never-ending work. You will, you will just grow weary and tired. And in the end, there will be no total satisfaction. So do not work for the food which perishes. But Jesus was not saying that work is bad. It's good to work. It's good to look for work and earn. And so we are able to provide for our daily needs. But for the food which endures to eternal life, Jesus is saying that this is more valuable, the food that provides eternal life. And the third, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him, the Father, God, has set His seal. Verse 28, Therefore they said to Him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God. And they missed the point that it's something that should be given to them. And so they thought it's something that they need to work on as this is the work of God. And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God. This is not your work. In other words, you cannot do this. It's the work of God. What's that? That you believe in him whom he has sent. So Jesus instructed them to seek the food that brings eternal life, not the earthly one, because this is more important. The crowd sought a sign so that they might believe. Why? Because the previous signs were not enough for them. Perhaps the sign that they seek resembles the manna in the wilderness where the Israelites ate for 40 years. So they collected the manna every morning for 40 years and they were fed for 40 years. Jesus explained that their real need is the bread that gives eternal life and that the bread of eternal life is himself. However, the crowd will not believe. They will not believe. Uh, this is not to preempt anything, but just to give you a preview of the subsequent messages that we will have. So just allow me to direct you to John chapter 6, verses 64 to 66. It says here, But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. 
And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. And then verse 66, As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. The crowd would eventually will not believe. They will not believe. Jesus knew that they were not from the Father. He would explain that all who believe are given by the Father to Him, and He will not lose anyone. Now for today's message entitled Bread of Life, we will be answering three important questions. Three important questions from verses 30 to verse 40. First question, what was the crowd truly seeking? What are they really in their hearts desiring or seeking? Because the crowd, they sought for a sign. They were seeking for a sign. So that even though the crowd already saw the signs, imagine Jesus feeding 5,000 plus from from few loaves and fish. Now, I'm sure if you have seen a miracle, a supernatural event, you would, you would believe, right? Supernatural event. Now, if you see something that is, wow, this is something that is beyond natural, and I'm sure you would, you would believe. Now, if you're struggling with a miracle, may I remind you or encourage you or suggest to you to just look around. Look at the sun. So, don't, no, don't look at the sun. You might go blind, by the way. Don't, just imagine the sun. So just imagine who in the world will be able to create a sun? And then cause the planets, create the planets, and cause the planets to orbit around the sun. Who in the world is able to create stars? So if you're look, looking for some miracle, you can just even look at your own self. The complexity of the brain, of the mind, and the, the organization of the body, the interrelationship, of our organ systems. Or perhaps your own story. I was once a, like this, a very bad person. But God miraculously changed me to who I am today so that I am now a different person. Now, even though the crowd already saw the signs, they still sought a compelling sign to make them believe. In verse 30, it says there, So they said to him, they said to Jesus, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? And um, in a manner of suggestion, Suggesting as to what sign are they looking for, they will mention the manna that God sent in the time of Moses. Verse 31, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. What is this manna? This is not something that you will receive as in the form of a property from your relative or someone who just died and has been now been passed to you. This is not the, that manna. So what is this manna? In Psalm chapter 78, verse 24, it's written there that he rained down manna for the people to eat. So it is something that is edible, something that uh, can be eaten. He gave them the grain of heaven or in some translations, the food of heaven. So it came from heaven. It's a grain. It's, it's food. It's, it's a bread. Now, according to crosswalk.com, it was consistently regarded in the Bible as a miraculous gift. 
It was a miraculous gift from God rather than a product of nature. Why? Because of two things. One is the timing. The timing of it. It came every day in the morning. And they were commanded, they were told, the Israelites were told during that time in the wilderness with Moses that they should only get enough for them for the day or else if they get more, it will just spoil and rot and it will be useless. The timing and every day it would happen. It would come in the morning and then in the morning in the morning except on the Sabbath. So that no, the, the day before the Sabbath, when they get some, it will be enough to eventually skip that day, the Sabbath day, until the first day again or the second day again would come. The second would be the quantity. It happened for 40 years. Imagine, 40 years. Every day there's manna from heaven. And then, there, then it's gone. And then tomorrow again, it's there. And it's gone. And then it's there. And it's gone. That's why the first time it came, they said, what is it? What is this? In Hebrew, it's manu. Manhu. Manu. Mana. Man. Mana. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. Because it is written. Remember in Psalm 78, 24, it was written that it trained and uh, it came down. This manna came down for them to eat. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. That was what was written. And if you go to Nehemiah chapter 9, verses verse 15, this is the, the time where... Uh, they were in sackcloth, they were repenting of their sins, they were very sorry for their sins, and part of that is they're reading the, the Torah, they're reading the scriptures, the Bible, and in verse 15, this is what they would say, this is what they would declare from what they're reading, you provided bread from heaven for them, for their hunger. You brought forth water from a rock for them, for their thirst. And you told them to enter in order to possess the land which you swore to give them. So they recited this so that they will remember. And when this day came, they remembered. They knew that it was written in their history, in the, in the Torah, that God, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now the word He here they may have some confusion. So who is this he? Is this Moses who gave them manna? Or is this, this is God who gave them the bread from heaven? So Jesus would clarify. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years. But Jesus would say in verse 32, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses. Who gave you the bread from heaven. Maybe some of you are confused. But my father gives you the true bread from heaven. So is Jesus pertaining to the manna? Or is now Jesus shifting to the true bread from heaven? Why? Because in verse 33, he further says, For the bread of God, the bread of God is if you have a highlighter or a pen with you and you have your Bible and you may want to encircle or underline the word He. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So it is not the what. It is the who. That is more important. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to Him, Sir, from Rabbi, I am Sir, well, it's another title, uh, sign of respect, give us this bread always. 
So what can we infer from that? They misunderstood again. They missed the point that Jesus was saying to them. Jesus would mention the bread that would never make them hungry again. And so Jesus said, for the bread of God is he. Yet they were asking for the what? Sir, give us this bread always. Now, as the crowd persisted in speaking about bread for physical needs, because apparently that was in their heart, as revealed, that was what they were truly seeking, Jesus directed them to the bread that pertains to eternal life. Not the physical bread, but the spiritual bread. Jesus would explain that the bread from the Father gives life. And so, this, this crowd, they thought, oh, this is something that will provide for our needs more than perhaps 40 years. So give us this bread. Which brings us to the second question. How did Jesus respond to their demand, to their request, because they said, Sir, give us this bread. <laughs> and then they qualified it always. Because you gave this bread when you performed a miracle. After you have given thanks, you fed many people. Now we're asking that you do this always. How did Jesus respond to the crowd? Next point, he says, I am the bread of life. Now, when the crowd asked for the bread from heaven, Jesus responded by saying, I am the bread of life. Let's look at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Now, this is the first time that we would hear Jesus put something after he says, I am. Ego Amy. So, in the, in the Gospel of John, according to Bible scholars, Jesus would say, I am, at least 23 times, more or less, 23 times. And Jesus would describe himself as I am plus something seven times times. And this is the first. The others would be, I am the light. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And seventh, I am the vine. I am. So this is the first time that he would say and put a description of who he is. He says, I am the bread of life. He explained that those who come to him and believe will never hunger and thirst. Verse 36. But I said to you that you have... No, verse 30. Continuation. 35. Sorry, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Hunger and thirst. Come and believe. So Jesus will say to them, well, it's as if, no? Jesus is saying to them, he is better than the manna in the wilderness. So what is the manna for? The manna is a glimpse of the real thing. It's a foreshadow of, of himself, of Jesus. The manna coming from God, a gift from God, who will provide for their needs, daily needs for 40 years, is a glimpse of the real thing. Jesus is the real thing. But the crowd would not see the need for the bread that leads to eternal life. They're still caught in the physical realm. 
And so Jesus revealed that the crowd does not honestly believe. Verse 36, but I said to you that you have seen me, meaning you have seen the miracles. You have seen the signs that I have already performed, that I have already did, and I have already declared even who I am, and yet do not believe. And it's a, it's a sad truth to know that even if they know that there is God, even if that they know that who Jesus is, yet they still would not believe. For the third question and the third point, what is God's design? What is God's design with regard to this eternal life that Jesus was talking about as early as verse 22? Starting from that point, and even farther beyond that. So to, to put it in a different question, what is this, the role of the Father and of the Son in granting eternal life? So what is, that, what is that design? What is God's design? What is the role of, the, of God the Father and the role of God the Son in eternal life, with regard to eternal life. Now, because Jesus knew that the crowd did not honestly believe, he would further explain this. What is this design? He explained that it is the Father who gives followers to him. It's the Father who gives followers to him. To whom? To Jesus. And those who do, those who would follow, those who would be given by the Father to Jesus, Jesus will never reject them. So, all whom the Father gives to Jesus, to Him, will never be lost. What is this? This is the will of the Father, that those who believe will have eternal life. This is God's design. This is the role of the Father. He will provide, He will give, and the role of Jesus, He will accept, and He will never reject. Let's go to verse 37. All that the Father gives, so you may highlight, Father gives, and then qualify that with all, that the Father gives me, Jesus is speaking here, will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Now, at this point, I'll, may I present something to you, submit to you for your consideration. So meaning, it's up to you to affirm this or perhaps reject this, but Somehow it is related to this verse that I would like at this point to, to present to you. Why? Because this is something that is a constant discussion amongst Christians. What, what, what is this? What is this discussion? First, the sovereign will of God. That God is sovereign. God is in total control. And then the other side is, uh, how about the free will? So with regard to salvation, some people may believe that, yes, God is sovereign, God is in control, but there is a part that man has to do, and that is to repent or to believe or to pray or to humble himself or herself before God and to obey. So all these things, these acts would be part of that salvation. And it's a discussion. Because if we say that God is sovereign and grace is grace, it means you don't, you don't need to do something to have it because it's a gift. 
Some will say, then you need to receive it. You need to extend your hand and you need to decide and you need to, to get it. So there is this part of God and it is this part of man. So they're saying it's, this is contradicting. You cannot say it's totally the will of God because there's something that I need to do out of my own free will. Or here's the thing that I'd like to present to you for your high, for your consideration. There's no contradiction, but there is a complement. Uh, what, what do I mean? Uh, there's this Latin legal phrase called sine qua non. Sine qua non. Sine qua non means without which, not. Now, without which, there's nothing. None. Sine qua non. So, without which, there's nothing. In, in other words, it's a condition precedent. Or, this must happen first, and this is absolute. Why? Because if this will not happen, then the subsequent things or elements or requisites will not happen. So, it must happen first. And then, naturally, things will also follow and fall into place. So, okay. Uh, for example, uh, we have the right to vote, right? We all have the right to vote. It's given by the Constitution that everyone has a right to vote. But we will not be able to vote unless we reach the age of 18. So that's a condition Precedent. It's a sine qua non. So, yes, you have the right to vote, but you will not be able to do this unless absolutely this happens, that you are able to prove that you are 18, and therefore, you can now vote. It must happen first. Okay, another illustration. Someone is invoking self-defense. Self-defense. So, I killed that person because I defended myself, or I defended another Person, maybe a relative of mine or a stranger, I don't know. So while I was walking, I saw someone or someone attacked me, okay? And so I defended myself. So I killed that person. Now, what is the condition precedent? What's the sine qua non? The first that must be that, that must be found is or proven is unlawful aggression on the part of the person that was killed or the victim. So, unlawful aggression. There must be aggression first. Meaning, there, this person attacked first. There's an actual attack. He was hurting. He was, uh, there's this physical uh, hurt, no, injury that is in, being inflicted to this person or to me. Or it could be an imminent or something that it will happen. Or something that, that will naturally occur. Like, this person took out his, let's say, balisong or his gun and he's, uh, he's about to shoot. And so, that's the first. That's the, that's the sine qua non. That's the condition precedent. Because without that, you cannot invoke self-defense. But if that happened, then the subsequent elements, which is the means that I did to repel it or to avoid it, is reasonable. So, because I'm also a police officer, I also have my gun, I shot him first. Because he's about to shoot me or he's about to, to kill another person. It's unlawful to kill another person. And it's also unlawful for me to kill another person. But because there was unlawful aggression and the, the, this, this, this means it's reasonable, and then there's no, there's no provocation on my part, then the law says I'm justified. Meaning, it's as if that I did not commit a crime. I'm not liable to this person, to this family. Criminally and also civilly. Sine qua non. Something must absolutely happen first before the next natural things would follow. And I believe, and I submit to you today, that such is the eternal life. Salvation must be that God would call first. God would elect first out of his sovereign will which we cannot question because that is God's prerogative that is God's decision you cannot question God's decision that is his will 
It's, it's like a management prerogative. It's like a company prerogative. So if they set the standard, this is the employee that we want to hire, blah, 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 blah. Then if you don't fit any of those, then you cannot be part of their company. This is a management prerogative. It is God's prerogative. This is God's will. And so out of his sovereign will, because he is God, he will choose and he will elect people, those who would believe. And so look at the verse, verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. It's, the, it's, it's God who would initiate this. It's God who will decide on this. It's God's prerogative. It's God's will. It's God who will elect, who will choose. And that must happen first. Because if it does not, for example, I'm here today and I'm convincing you to believe in God. Believe in Jesus. Repent of your sins. And then you, okay, because you believed me, you believed. Okay? You repented of your sins. That will not hold. Because it must be God who must change you first. Who must cause you to believe and to repent. Because if it's just me who persuaded you, then it might, it may not be perfect. Because you did it out of my convincing. But if it is God who will do it first, you will not be able to resist the work of God. You, you cannot, you will, you will not, you will not be able to resist it. It's natural that your heart would be changed. Why? Because it's God. It's God him, Himself. He will change your heart, your mind, so that your natural response out of His, his grace, out of His mercy, and out of His love, choosing you, calling you, electing you, our natural response is to repent and to believe and to obey and to follow Him. All that the Father gives. Now, some will say, oh, it's the work of God. It's, it's the sovereign will of God. And then, therefore, I don't need to do anything. Because let's just wait for God to act and to change everyone's life. And then, uh, um, okay, let's just wait. Let's just wait for God to act uh, on my, my, my loved ones, my friends. No, that's the one that is contradicting actually. Because if God changes a person's heart, if God truly called a person, the natural response is to obey Him. And to believe Him. And part of that command of God is to proclaim the gospel. To make disciples. So if we truly believe in Him, truly our hearts, our heart is changed, then it's natural for us to proclaim, to teach, to share the Word of God, to pray for, for a loved one, to live out principles and the truths and the precepts of God. But unless God calls, unless God elects, unless God changes the heart of that person, then nothing follows. Sine qua non, without which none. Well, we still have free will, but it's nothing. Now look at this. Look at the verse 37. All that the Father gives me, gives to Jesus, will come to me. Come to me. So it's, it's the work of God. It's not your work or whoever else's work. And this is the next point. Whoever comes to me, okay, that's the free will. Why? Because the Father already called them. The Father already gave them to 
Christ. So their natural response is to go to Christ now, to, to come to Christ. Then, I will never cast them out. I will never cast out those who would come to me. Why? Why did they come to Christ? Why did they come to Jesus? Because God called them first. God caused them first. So, it's not simultaneous sabay or it's not part God's work and then part God's uh, human's will. It's only God's work. That's why it's only God. It's the work of God so that you believe in Him. That's it. And then once God changes my heart, then I will now come to Christ. A dead man, a dead person, because of the effect of sin, will not on his or her own, initiate something. Because he's dead. She's dead. He or she cannot go to God on his own. It must be that God would regenerate this dead person first before this person would now go to God. That's something I'd like to submit to you today for your consideration. Maybe you can discuss this further in the growth group. That's God's sovereign will. Now let's go to verse 38, which will trigger them, the crowd, some of them, or perhaps most of them, this would trigger them to be angry, to grumble, to disagree. Why? What would Jesus say to them? Verse 38, For I have come down from heaven. I have come down from heaven. I thought you were the son of Joseph. I thought you were born from Mary. And then you are here. You're saying, For you have come down from heaven just like the manna. You have come down from heaven. Just like the bread. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus is not saying I don't have my own will, but his will is in accordance with the will of God. Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And what is that? Now, by the way, from verses 37 to verse 40, in ESV, you will count at least seven times that the will, the word will, was used by John, the writer. Seven times. Now, let's be careful because the usage of the word will may come in a noun form. Noun meaning it's, for example, it's a decision of God. It's, it's God's prerogative. It's God's desire. It's a noun. And then there's a verb or an action word which will happen, certainly will happen, but just in the future. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. That's a verb. Will, it will happen. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And then verse 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will. This is now the now, not my own will, but the will of him, of God, who sent me. Verse 39, and this is the will. Again, a noun. A will of him who sent me. What is God's will? That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So the Father gives to Christ. Those whom Christ, those whom God has called, those whom God has elected and changed their hearts, they will come to Christ. Now, Paul the Apostle would give an analogy on this as inspired by God. He would say in his writings in Ephesians and also in Corinthians, we are the bride and Jesus is the groom. You know, in a marriage, there's the parents will you bring or someone would bring the bride to the groom, present the, the bride to the groom. 
Now, John, the beloved writer of the Gospel of John, who also wrote Revelation, also would write something like this, that the church is the wife, the bride, and, uh, and Jesus is the husband, the groom. I think it's in somewhere in Revelations 2 and some other verses in Revelation. That's the idea. That's the, that's the that's a concept. We, as a church, we're chosen, we're separated by God. That's not our own will. That's God's sovereign will. will be presented and will be given to Christ as a gift. That is the will of the Father with regard to eternal life. Verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son, I imagine the, the bride no, looking forward to the groom in tears, no, joy and excitement, Whoever looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day, on the judgment day, on the last day. That's the last day. This is the first day to eternity. Well, maybe. Jesus assures that those given to Him to Jesus himself, by the Father, will not be lost. What a blessed assurance for someone who was indeed chosen by the Father and presented to Christ. What describes these people? They look to the Son and believe in Him. And those who do this, they have eternal life. Those who believe in Christ are God's gift to the Son so that Jesus will protect them until the judgment day. Not really prevent death, but prevent the consequence of death. Spiritual death, I mean, which is separation from God in a place where there is eternal suffering and death and pain, which is hell. Again, for applications, first we look to Christ. Where are we looking or to whom are we looking at? Perhaps some of us are looking at ourselves or at another person uh, aside from Christ for salvation or for your eternal life, the crowd sought more signs. Do you need more signs to be convinced? Perhaps they desired daily provisions like manna. Is, is that what you really, really wanted to just be fed or be satisfied physically? Where one day life would eventually end and will be gone. They could not see who was before them or understand what the Lord was saying. Maybe, perhaps, God has not called them or chosen them. And like to qualify that yet. Yet. So let us look to Christ himself for eternal life, not mere earthly food. Second application, know the Father's work. We now know the Father's work. What is the Father's work? The Father's work is he would call them to repentance and faith. He would work on everyone. Well, not everyone, but those whom he would elect. 
But not everyone will believe in the Son of God. But those who do are the Father's gift to the Son. Look at the person on your left or the person on your right. Are you a gift to Jesus? It's a question, right? And I will not be able to answer that for you. So I need to settle this before the Lord. Because it's only Him who can present you as a gift to Christ. Let us acknowledge that the Father's work in salvation is His sovereign will. That's His prerogative. And as the Father gave the Son to those who believe, this is the, the role of Jesus. He will protect and He will keep and He will not reject and He will not cast out. Especially on the judgment day. So God will also give all who would believe to the Son. And last, believe. What you would believe in? From the text, we should believe that Jesus is the bread of life. He will satisfy not only our physical needs, but our spiritual needs, which is more, far more important than our physical need. He is the bread of life, which is much better than the manna in the time of Moses. And we believe that He is the one who gives eternal life. Nobody else. It's only through Christ that we will receive eternal life. He is the only one sent by the Father to give eternal life. And no other person claimed this. That they, through them, they will, if people would believe them, they would receive eternal life. No one ever claimed this. It's only Christ. He has the authority. And He is the only one. So allow me to just share with you the poem written by our senior pastor who is celebrating the birthday of his mother. So if you're listening po, happy birthday. This is entitled, The Bread of Life. The crowd said, give us now a sign. Signs were there ever since the wine. The 5,000 and the healings. What was the crowd truly seeking? Like the manna in history, Christ will remain a mystery because their desires were misplaced. It was the wrong thing that they chased. The crowd could not understand him. Their hearts, their minds, and minds remained so dim. They could not grasp the bread of life. The truth would cut them like a knife. We know why they did not believe. In fact, in a while, they would leave. Believers are from the Father. Non-believers remain scattered. The Father gave His only Son. Indeed, He is the only one. Gifts to Him are all who believe. None of these, none of them, shall ever leave. Christ will uphold them on that day. His mercy will be on display. On Judgment Day, we will see it as we have read in Holy Writ. Shall we all stand and close in prayer? Heavenly Father, we are unworthy. We are powerless. We are hopeless. We can never save ourselves. We may say we can work our way through eternity, to eternity and to heaven. If I do good works, if I do good things, it will offset my sin and I will gain eternal life. Yet, who will approve these good works? 
as to whose standards would this good works would apply except from your own standard, Lord. And as you have said, it is not by works that we are saved. It is by your grace alone. Through Jesus Christ. And that is your work. To call. To elect. To choose. To change the heart of your people. For we can never change our hearts. What more of another person's heart. So we acknowledge, Lord, as it is written, as you have revealed in your word, that this is your work alone. As God, as sovereign. This is your own initiative. And we can never influence you no matter what we do. That's why we are unworthy. We are powerless and we are helpless. Yet you gave your son, Jesus Christ, who obeyed you, who loved you, who followed you, because that is your will for him. He suffered. He died on the cross and He resurrected so that through Christ, through His work on the cross, we will be saved and we will have eternal life. Father, it is my prayer for, for some of us who are here today, it could be that we are not yet assured we are not sure if we have been chosen of, or you have may have called us or elected us Lord make it clear to us make it clear and may we ask that you work on our hearts and our lives and those whom we know our loved ones our friends our relatives Yet we thank you for this privilege, for this opportunity to proclaim and share your gospel. Because this is part of your design. Because it is in the gospel that you poured your power, you invested your power to salvation. That's why we are not ashamed. And we will never be ashamed of the gospel, just as Paul the Apostle said, for it is the power to salvation. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we ask that as we present the gospel, as we proclaim the gospel, you would open the listeners their hearts, their ears, their hearts, their minds, their spirit. And it will be affirmed to them, spirit to spirit. Subjectively, they will feel it. They will know it. Because they believe in your word. And it will manifest. It will be seen objectively. a life that is changed by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so in the end, we will know. Perhaps others also may know. And thank you, Father, because you have called us and you have presented us to Christ. And thank you, Jesus, for preserving us until the judgment where you will raise us up in the context of a physical body. A body with, with form. Just as you were raised up from the dead, we 
will likewise be raised up for eternity. So we thank you, Lord, and we are eternally grateful for your work. Bless us as we go out from this place. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless us all. See you next Sunday.